0: Hello and welcome into the new episode of How It's Built. Today we're joined by Bridger Maxwell, who in his spare time built a really impressive tool for collaborative drawing called Scribble Together. We're going to talk about some aspects of software architecture as well as some unique challenges that come both with real time and the drawing aspects of this app. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for taking the time. this is Bridger Maxwell, who is working on Facebook on uh, the product called Origami. In his spare time, Bridger, you built uh, this pretty impressive app called Scribble Together. And in this time when you know when everyone is working remotely, this is 2020 and the uh, coronavirus pandemic lockdown and all that became part of our daily vocabulary, uh, this app seems really useful. Can you talk a bit more about why did you decide to build it, and how? What did you see? going kind of, how did you see the usage of the app uh, working out in in the recent time? Yeah, so this is an app that
1: Meili Ku and I have been working on for uh, I think over three years now, um, and it started out with Meili trying to work with a uh, remote designers on her team, and I was working with uh, my niece trying to tutor uh, from New York to Utah, and I found that most of the whiteboards were too complicated to work with, uh, with like kids. You know, we'd get stuck just trying to figure out email links and passwords and sign up, and then in the whiteboard, we'd get lost. And so uh, we were trying to make an app that lets you have the experience of sharing a piece of paper or a whiteboard in person where it's less about like, how many bells and whistles it has, more making sure that it doesn't get in the way of drawing and expressing yourself in a way that's visual. Because I think a lot of ideas are really hard to express without uh, visual aid. During uh, when everyone was switching to working from home, uh, we saw a lot more downloads. We're also trying to promote that we don't want it priced to be like a barrier to people who need to use this for education. Or any other reason so we also have a code if you want where you can enter four soap emojis into the uh join board and it'll give you some months free there are some schools that have group subscriptions and so we can do it where uh anyone with the school email address if they put it into the app and confirm their email it'll do the uh subscription that way we've nice. had a few teachers that have really championed the app within their district or uh community of teachers
0: there are not that many apps in the app store where you know the, the core feature is multi-user, right? So, so I feel like that's a pretty interesting kind of part of the architecture that uh, maybe we can start uh, discussing. So, maybe you can talk a bit about that. The core part of it is
1: that people can draw in real time, and you want to be able to see the changes really quickly. Uh, anytime that there's syncing involved between people. The thing that you want to deal with is conflicts are going to be the hardest of um, there 's always a time delay with networking, and even if there wasn't a time delay, we allow people to draw on the whiteboard when they 're offline and so multiple people might do that, and then they all connect, and the changes go up to the server mm-hmm. and we want to make sure that everyone ends up looking at the same whiteboard once all the conflicts are resolved um, which in whiteboarding, is not that part of a problem. There's only, most of the time, people are just adding on. But you want to make sure like things uh, end up in the right order. So if I draw a big blue square and you draw a yellow triangle at the same location, we both think that we drew it first. Uh, but when it comes to both of our whiteboards, we need to make sure that uh, it looks the same, that it's either the yellow triangle is on top for both of us or the other way around, but as long as it looks the same is what we're going for in Scribble. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, a lot of the syncing is done by sending deltas of like what has changed. So there are messages uh, that will say, insert a stroke here, and then add points to this stroke, um, or hide this stroke if you uh, use the bomb eraser on it. Mm -hmm. or um, add a canvas. The way I organize it locally is that we have the canvas client. We call it, or I called it client canvas when I started uh, making this instead of whiteboard. And Mm -hmm. even though that doesn't show up anywhere in the product, it's stuck. The canvas client will have messages for mutations. So... um, this is where you say like add stroke um add stroke or append points or um hide stroke mm-hmm. generates a log of messages so it's like one add stroke
0: to append a pen, you know, someone's drawing mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and so, this is purely local. This is just purely based on what I'm, as a user, kind of performing as an action, right?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And then um, these need to be applied locally. So then, the uh, canvas client also keeps a track of like its current uh, state of the world, which is the model of, um, I don't know, should I draw is like a really big thing? <laughs> so this is the Canvas model. And it has within it, in uh, Scribble, you can have multiple sheets. Like each one is kind of a, a whole window that yeah. swaps out. <laughs> and so within the Canvas model is an array of canvases. And each one of those has a bunch of um,
0: strokes. Do you ever end up optimizing <laughs> uh, some some strokes? So, for example, if, if I drew five strokes in a row, do you ever end up like merging them because I know that some uh, like algorithms that's gonna I think that's Google Wave, if anyone remembers that. Uh, they used to have this thing where they would zip a bunch of operations so that's like if you add, delete, add, delete, they can uh, zip it into no operation at all because that's what it amounts to. Do, do you do any of that with, with
1: the model? There's some cases where I can throw away data that I know is no longer needed. Like We have disappearing strokes mm-hmm. where um, you draw and it shows up live and then they fade away mm-hmm. when we save the model to disk. We don't save those because we know that they'll never show again. Mm -hmm. Um, But once they're drawn, each stroke uh, is independent. And you can always unhide a stroke, and so even if something's hidden uh, from the bomb eraser, there's a chance that someone will undo. But the models have generally been not that big. You know, like syncing that has been um, not as much the bottleneck. One of the tricky parts is that these are like local messages, I call them Canvas to server messages, Um, and they get transformed into messages that actually mutate the model in a way that makes sure that even if they get out of order, you end up with the same whiteboard. We also have the Canvas server. This is usually running remotely, but I have it mm-hmm. all as like a model object so I can run unit tests locally where I say, here's five clients, and they all connect to the same server, and instead of using WebSockets to pass messages, we just use some like local testing mocks to pass them around. Nice, you um, have tests. That's great. <laughs> well, I have the ability to write tests. I've written, like, four. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. (laughs) Ability (laughs) to write tests is the next best thing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the Canvas server has multiple messages coming in um, from different clients, and it needs to relay them to the other ones. So they come back. So the Canvas client sends these to the server, and then the server is going to Uh, Transform them and send them out to all the other clients. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the Canvas server. Just
0: to clarify here something. So, Canvas server is the actual server. So, this is not a P2P application. This is an application where you actually have a server running somewhere on uh, something like Amazon or, or, you know, alike. And so, that's the source of truth. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: This is not peer to peer. Um, One of the trade offs with peer to peer is that you can't really have a web app. That shows you the whiteboard at any time if it's peer-to-peer mm. because the by having it stored on the server that means you can go to scribble togethercom slash boards and see mm-hmm. the list of your boards and open it up if that mm-hmm. was peer-to-peer that would have to somehow like phone your iPad which might be in your backpack and like try <laughs> right. to get the data yeah, so yeah. the source of truth in the end lives on the server when it's Got it
0: okay can you talk um, a bit about uh, logic that uh, so you, you mentioned that server is the one that's, that's responsible for resolving all the conflicts. So what is the, like, and, and you mentioned it's in your case, conflict resolution is uh, potentially a bit simpler than it would be like in text, uh, you know, word processing or something like that. So what is your kind of uh, take on, on that? What, 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 what kind of algorithms did you use for that? Um, yeah, so the one of the simplest
1: is that when you say add stroke in on the client, It always just assumes, okay, it's going in at the end. And the server is the one who transforms it. It looks at what strokes are already in the model. And it says, we're adding it after yellow triangle.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so it transforms it to a message that is not just like append, but it's saying insert it exactly here. Mm. If you hear about something late and you've already drawn, the server can send it to you and say, you didn't know about this, but it happened five minutes ago. And so it should go... Like, got it, got it, right got it. Here in your model. Um, so,
0: the, all those appends and, and then strokes, they have some data about the actual drawing, but also they have data about uh, timestamp when, when this actually happened, right?
1: This over uh, assigns them like a, an authoritative, like, this is the order that it happened. Ah, oh, got
0: it, got it, got it. Okay.
1: Yeah, cool. Um, and so they come out here as uh, mutating messages. Only a uh, those are sent to the clients, and these um, like have definite order, or mm-hmm. they're they're phrased in such a way that even if things happened out of order, when you apply these, they will all end up looking the same. Got it. Um, but one of the things that's tricky is that. It goes to the server and it gets transformed and then sent out to all of these clients. But as you're drawing locally, you want to see it immediately. You don't want to wait for it to come back to the server. Right, right. There's the same algorithm running to uh, optimistically apply them on the client, and run uh, that same algorithm is running on the server and then uh, going to all the other clients in order to transform from canvas to server messages to mutating messages, you need a snapshot of the current model, mm-hmm. which is something of a weakness in um, in architecture, in that it does make that the server is very stateful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I could have gotten around that, but I'll put like a copy here uh, of the canvas model on the canvas server. Um, right. The code on the client and the server is so similar that um, I opted to go with Swift on the server mm. for this part, um, and that has turned out pretty nice. <laughs> um, okay. in that, like uh, you don't have to write it twice, and like the core algorithm can be unit tested because it's all mm-hmm. in the same. Uh, language, even though I said that yeah. I didn't test all can, that much. No,
0: can, can be unit <laughs> tested. That's the important part. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and so... Well, how was it to, to, yeah. to
0: write Swift on the server? Because I remember that, you know, early on, people would say, so I'm not even sure if up to this day there are any sort of, you know, kind of industrial scale sort of applications running in Swift. How, yeah. What was your experience like? At first, it was
1: pretty rough. Like, even connecting to Postgres database might Mm. be like something kind of tricky and flaky without the right, like there wasn't battle-tested libraries for it. Vapor has kind of come out as a really uh, more battle-tested, or like it's just a kind of one-out and has some really nice APIs. Um, And so I actually rewrote from Katora to Vapor, which took a little while. And I've also found that a lot of things I wanted to specialize a little more with the Swift. So, mm-hmm. the Swift code was good at running this um, this syncing logic, but there's a lot of other things the server does about just like registering for accounts and like serving web pages, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I decided the infra wasn't mature enough there to rely on all that and have that part in uh, Python. And so I'm using like Flask, Python for a lot of the things that most web apps would do. Yeah, yeah,
0: like more of a lightweight, just kind of showing the web content stuff.
1: Yeah. And I'm using the Swift server in a way that's a little closer to how I develop iOS apps in that like it is a stateful server um, and is more like a uh, running app rather than like request response quite as Mm, much.
0: Got it. So does this mean that like, as soon as I start a session, me as a user, you get an uh, instance of a server standing up just for me, just for my particular client, and then like everyone who connects to, to my uh, uh, canvas, to my whiteboard, they, they talk to the same server?
1: It's important that everyone who is connected to the same whiteboard connects to the same server. Each server can still uh, serve many clients at once, oh. or like many whiteboards. And so right now, I only have one server. Um, (laughs) but, and that's just like been fine. But scaling, it will mean that we have multiple servers and each one can serve, I don't know, like 3000 whiteboards or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but everyone who's on the same whiteboard will need to be connected to the same server. Got it. Um, But it has made it very fast. I am curious to hear how other real time, syncing things kind of deal with that like for example a VoIP call might be a similar Mm -hmm. uh, thing where I think everyone needs to connect to the same server for it to uh like take a group call composite it into images that it's sending um
0: well that's actually an interesting question because what I would guess is that if you have like some sort of really mature uh VoIP uh, infrastructure and you're serving let's say you connect call between uh America, Asia, and Africa. I'm guessing that you would probably want to have servers in respective regions, and then somehow, uh, maybe you you would be able in to duplicate this among all the servers in real time, so that you can get like faster speed. But yeah, I and, guess this is just yeah. me speculating. I'm not even sure if that's that's how it works. Yeah. I'm not um, sure. <laughs> okay. And so, so I wanted to kind of get back to 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 the part where you you mentioned the canvas clients, right? And so what is the um, kind of networking uh, like bare-bones networking, so you have a server, and it sounds like you, you mentioned that it's not like your typical like request-response-style communication. So what is your client's kind of networking stack? It uses WebSockets, um, mm-hmm. and
1: it's not the Canvas client or the Canvas server that directly networks. And so um, this is actually one that I, I need to refactor a little bit, but the thing that drives um, drives the Canvas client is our canvas view controller. So, mm. um, <laughs> uh, I By would laughing. like. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> I actually don't mind big view controllers as every as long as every part of it is pretty understandable. I'm like I don't care about number of methods as much.
0: What was the biggest view controller in the
1: Oh, those get so big. <laughs> we, we did. <laughs> we actually did a code analysis there's something that kind of gives a score of like how complicated is code. And Origami ranked just below, it was, I think it was the most complicated code except for React Native
0: maybe. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> in like that and React Native way. has a
0: lot of like stuff <laughs> built there all the time.
1: <laughs> I'm afraid that I misquoted that though. I, I hope I didn't get that wrong, but it, it was it was right up there in some of the most complicated code that Facebook's <laughs> got in the uh, FB C repo. Um, the canvas view controller is what's telling the canvas client what to do, and so um, it's also the thing that networks or keeps open the WebSocket. And so I'd like to um, factor out the part about the WebSocket in particular. The canvas view controller connects with WebSocket to the actual server, or canvas client has a callback where it can say like. Uh, new messages
2: mm.
1: or so you say like um, trigger actions from the view like drawing, and so mm-hmm. Canvas view controller kind of asks the canvas client to do that. We have a view that manages which sheets are available. You can give it the canvas client directly and say like anytime that you want to. Add a sheet or whatever. Anybody can use Canvas client to mutate the model and like ask it to to create things. Got but it. then, um, and then anybody can subscribe to uh, changes from the Canvas model.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So Canvas model changed. Um, these come back from the Canvas client to whatever views are uh subscribing and a lot of those views are owned by canvas view controller so um views and then there's another delegate method from canvas client to canvas view controller which is just one way mm-hmm. which just says like I have messages to send to server um And so the canvas client says, "I have a bunch of messages queued up, ready to send." Um, The canvas view controller asks for them, stuffs them in the WebSocket, and then when things come back from the network, this is also asking the canvas client apply these messages.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And then those, in turn, will. Uh, change the canvas model, which triggers those canvas model has changed across all the different views. So each view can um, subscribe to the canvas client itself, so it knows about state changes across the app. Um, But the thing coordinating between the canvas client and the network happens to be canvas view controller. Uh, One of the things that that side effect is, is that Whiteboards only sync when you have them like open visibly, and so I would um refactor this to say like here is a canvas syncing controller or something that knows how to open up a web socket and does this top part about mm-hmm. uh messages to send to the server and applying messages from the server and I could abstract that, so it's just a thing that knows how to connect a web socket and like pass messages for it um And I would do that if we ever had uh, like background syncing where we detect that you went from nowhere network to network and you have written on five different whiteboards, so we'll sync those. Mm -hmm. But um, that hasn't been important yet because most people are using this real time like on a phone call. So a lot of syncing apps are about like, you know, I'm writing notes while I'm on the subway and then when I get to my Mac, I just expect the notes to be there. Uh, And that's kind of like a personal notebook syncing. This one is a real-time communication syncing, and it's it's not uh, asynchronous as often, where you like do something and then you expect it to end up there sometime later.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good point, though. I think that's uh, like it's a good point about kind of trade-offs. Just understanding what is your core use case and not building, uh, you know, something that's not necessarily required at the moment. And yeah, like once you kind of want to support background syncing or or if you want this code to live, I don't know, in the world where you receive a notification that someone started drawing on your whiteboards, and you want to show that canvas and the notification quickly respond with something like that, might that modularity might be interesting. But yeah, until that, it seems pretty. And so far, I have to say, the canvas view control sounds like a reasonable view control. It it only receives messages from the views, forwards them to someone, receives messages back, forwards to someone else. So it's like it's pretty good. Yeah, it's trying to just be an in between.
1: It doesn't have very much logic about. Yeah, the logic within it is is mostly just passing things. <laughs> Trying to get right. it to the right place. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's more like a router in that way. Um Yeah, that
0: makes sense. How how many like uh, speaking of view controllers, it seems like you have again like, you know, when when you look at any given app without knowing it too well, it always seems like oh, it's so simple like there're only the two yeah, views but then like screens. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious how many different uh view controls are in your app and through that, how complicated the navigation system is, uh, and if you ever have to go from one view controller to another,
1: navigation is actually as simple as it looks on this one. So, mm-hmm. um, we have the home view controller and the canvas view controller. Just push within, mm-hmm. you know, within a navigation stack. Um, we do support multiple windows, and that mm-hmm. means and uh, now the app clip. It means that you can have a a window that is just the Canvas view controller and has never you can't go back to a home view controller because there is no home view controller. yeah mm-hmm. clip and so um, that's supported too, but I, I don't have like a very elegant way of doing that. I find NSUserActivity user activity is an odd API in that they're like, here's five user activities, each one has a little bit of info and like try to reconstruct your view hierarchy from that. And I'm like, which one should I use? (laughs) Should I use the state restoration or should I use the one with the web activity or what's this app clip payload? I I don't, so far I
0: haven't needed to use that. That's weird. (laughs) Yeah, I think at some point, I I might be again, kind of misquoting that, but at some point I I think I heard that someone said like, oh, it might be that API was built for one purpose and then uh, other teams starting kind of piling up there things on this user activity, yeah. and it kind of grew to be this uh, half-typed uh, dictionary of just like
1: here's a bunch <laughs> of info, where you know we have specific API names, so it's not just in S dictionary, but it does come down to it will return you some strings, and you got to do something with those strings.
0: <laughs> you said that you have support to several windows. Can you have the same canvas open from multiple windows? No, I
1: had to enforce that at like the app level of making okay. sure that that didn't happen.
0: Switching gears a bit, uh, I, I noticed that you have this cool feature that, that allows you to recognize uh, different shapes when you draw. So you can kind of draw a rough version of, of a circle, and it actually makes it a, a nice-looking version of a circle. So can you talk a bit more about that? How, how did you approach that?
1: Yeah, so that the shape recognition um, is is driven by a few different like uh, recognizers where the first point... In the shape recognition, is that we try to pick out corners, and mm-hmm. so like notice when there's a change in direction, um, which is not as simple as it sounds. It's really easy to like think something in the middle of a line is a corner, mm-hmm. or near the end of the line, it gets kind of messy. And like there's four points that could be considered the corner in this like messy corner. Which one mm-hmm. is it? Um, And so that was kind of a specialized subsystem of just like, here are all the corners that are possible and like trying to weed out ones where first it looks at the individual level to find all the corners and then kind of looks macroscopic. And is like, that can't be a corner because it's in the middle of a line. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) Even though there was like a kink in the line. Right. Um, And then that gets passed to a few different shape recognizers that try to say like, Okay, if I assume that this is a quadrilateral, there must be four corners. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shape recognize or the the corner recognizer gave me like six possible corners. So I'm gonna one by one drop each corner and say like, well, what
0: if it's these? What if it's these? Mm-hmm. What if it-?
1: uh, same with like triangle. Triangle.
0: Oh, um, so you're gonna score all the possible outcomes, and based on that, you say like, oh, this scored the highest as a square or as a circle, and therefore.
1: Right. And then we score it based on like, okay, if you assume that it was drawn perfectly, how Mm. far, and then Mm. you kind of just like, yeah, how far away are the points that were drawn from your perfect version of the shape, and kind of sum that up and score it. Okay. Um, And then then kind of compare across different shapes where you're like this Recognizer tried a uh, square, this one tried a rectangle, this one tried a triangle. Mm -hmm. Uh, which one's fitting the best. And then most of those are just kind of a geometry-based. I spent a lot of time just reading those geometry sites about like uh, a parallelogram will have bisectors that are exactly crossing in the middle of each other. And I'm like, okay, so that makes me look at... I can look at the corners and say, well, this bisector is too long so I can move the corner this way and that will make it a trapezoid instead of a uh, less perfect shape. Um, So uh, most of those are just kind of like heuristics from geometry that I try. But then the circle and oval recognizer is instead a linear regression model where we just try to fit the equation of an ellipse to it. Mm. And it runs, that uses a, uh ellipse detector. Hold on. Um uses the accelerate framework mm-hmm. as a uh linear regression uh function. Oh, so it. you
0: wrote it from scratch. You didn't use any sort of uh uh it's called core or anything like that, right?
1: No. Um mm-hmm. I mean accelerate is similar, I guess, to core mm-hmm. Um or you know, like it I didn't write the solver, this like the linear algebra sort of uh, algorithm from scratch. But most of the, I didn't pull in any other big libraries. Um, And this was also only, this is the one part that I did rely on something from recent-ish, iOS 11. And so Mm -hmm. now the, um, the shape recognition requires iOS 11, but the rest of the app works on back to ios 9 it's okay still got an ipad 2 <laughs> those <laughs> things are sold for years and years oh yeah. Two. yeah
0: it was it was a nightmare yeah. for everyone <laughs> who was like i don't want to support this but, but i have to how many different shapes do you to support there
1: um so there's uh lines quadrilaterals like four-sided shapes triangles mm-hmm. and then ellipses and then each one of those tries to like also uh have a more perfect version so like the triangle runs and if it fits a triangle then it's like what if we adjusted one of the mm. corners so that it is a isosceles triangle right, right right and like it's allowed to move I I just have some fudge factors where I'm like an isosceles <laughs> triangle is point eight seven percent better than <laughs> A regular triangle, and so we're allowed to like be off by that much if, if we can make it isosceles. Okay. And so within the, so yeah, so then we do isosceles and equilateral triangles, and then within um, four-sided shapes, we support like parallelograms, mm-hmm. trapezoids, rectangles, and squares are all things that it recognizes as like better than most four-sided shapes. iOS 14, added oh. a feature for shape recognition. um, And they also named it Scribble. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, We had it first. And so I don't think they could kick us (laughs) off. I'm less interested in trying to make trouble for Apple legally.
2: Um, Right.
1: And so, and we also try to use the name Scribble together as like a full Mm. name. more Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That Um, makes sense. And Scribble doesn't show up in the iOS 14 UI. Like their Apple's feature is not really, Mm. um, named exactly, it's more marketing named only. Oh, got it, got it. Okay. So, uh, hopefully it doesn't uh, confuse people.
0: It is always perceived as a small, nice, kind of nice to have feature. But then once you actually talk through how much it takes to to build it. Yeah,
1: and one of the tricky things with um, with just drawing in this way where we have, you know, messages we're sending to the server and also shape recognition, is when do you show it to the user locally, and mm-hmm. when do you like, commit it to the model? Mm-hmm. Because um, actually, I'll, one interesting way that we process strokes, is, or like drawing, is that we need to simplify the lines. Um, Apple Pencil, actually, if you take every single point from the Apple Pencil and just render it directly, it looks okay, but it's also a really big data model. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when you're drawing with a finger, if you just take every single point and dis- display it directly, it looks bad. Yeah. And so we have a series of like cleanup things that run. Our drawing algorithm first goes through a simplifier. The simplifier is just trying to remove points that aren't visibly needed, as in like, mm-hmm. they're exactly in between its two neighbor yeah, points. Yeah. We do a corner corrector. I um, can't remember the exact reason f- for that. Oh, it's because um, the next thing that we do is we smooth them based on midpoints. Point smoother, and this midpoint smoother would mess up really sharp corners. So this corner mm. corrector kind of pre-processes it so that uh, it doesn't. <laughs> but um, those three. It means that like you can't really know what. It's kind of like if you put uh, thirty points into there, it kind of processes them, you know, in a queue where the l- the midpoint smoother can't emit any points until it has three, mm-hmm. and then it can like emit one. So it delays everything by two. The corner corrector delays it. The other one delays it. And so that means that by the time that we're getting points out of there um the points that come out of there we're ready to send to the network those are kind of like finalized but we want to display them locally much sooner Mm -hmm. than that we actually um also use the apple pencil api where it's predicting where the apple pencil
0: might yeah i was gonna say that it it sounds similar because it gives you like raw points and then it like comes back and corrects them right something like that it actually tries to predict where the pencil is going to be Mm. in like two
1: frames and because it's about two frames behind it makes it look like it's exactly on. So, yeah, we have that, but we also need to have like this path where we generate like preview points of this half of the line is far enough in the past that it's finalized and we can send it to the network. This half mm-hmm. of the line is still kind of being smoothed and corner corrected and it might be based on predicted points that are not yet ready to like commit to. Yeah. And so That's one place where um, there's kind of an exception to everyone just listens to Canvas Client to hear like when to update their views. There's an exception of like the stroke that you are currently drawing on your local iPad also needs to have um, some messages coming directly from the drawing gesture recognizer of like, "Mm, here's a preview. Like we think this is what it's gonna look like yeah, the stroke is made of half of committed points, mm-hmm. and then the tail end of it um, is also local changes. And so that's like, a, there's a few places where we wish that everything went through Canvas yeah. client and like was neat that way, but there's a few places where we have to kind of fast track it. And right. um, shape recognition, uh, I'm planning to change soon to do the similar, where right now when it recognizes the shape, it's it's done, it's committed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tricky point with that is that the gesture for recognizing a shape is that you stop drawing for a moment and you hold. So that means if you draw slowly, I might mm-hmm. think that you're done and be like, it's a line and to like <laughs> stop you from drawing anymore. Um, yeah. And so instead, I want to say, if you stop drawing, we try to predict it and we'll show it to you. But then if you keep drawing, we need to like undo it and allow you to keep going.
0: You, you rightfully mentioned that like it's not always when you get to, to build a beautiful architecture and everything works with it, and you, have, you already have two exceptions from the rules. So do you think that you will have some sort of uh, different approach to how you accumulate messages, or like is there any sort of uh, common theme that you see between the shape recognition and what you described as a, as a second subsystem?
1: Um, I think the, or the way that I've kind of reconciled these is I always want to make sure that it's separate of like what is the committed data model mm-hmm. and what is the stuff that's like locally applied, so that you don't get them mixed up or like merged together in any way. Mm-hmm. And so like the stroke view um, that I have, like both points to the data model stroke, and then it has an extra Ivar called like preview points. Mm. Um, and when we right before we render it, we merge all those together uh, to just be one continuous line. But um they're stored separately to make it very clear that like this part is only always comes from Canvas client and this part can come from a view. You okay. know, like a more uh a different path.
0: Is it fair to say that it's somewhat similar in the sense to uh the feature that you describe when you uh do disappearing line? So it's so some sort of like only local data that never leaves.
1: Or is um, the, it so- the disappearing line. We actually, it still goes through the whole process of being committed to a canvas stroke.
0: I was kind of curious, you know, from all the kind of. So you mentioned you have a massive uh, view controller. That is, it doesn't sound too massive yet, but I will take your word for it. Um, do you have any sort of singletons? Any sort of uh, fun stuff like that?
1: We have singletons for doing like subscription state. You know, like mm-hmm. store. Most of the singletons are related to user account sort of stuff. Mm. Um, instead of doing them as singletons, I have one object I call app dependencies that is created pretty early on and then just like passed everywhere. So it's like app dependencies okay. dot subscription client or right, app right, dependencies yeah. dot uh, like there's a document database class that. Um, is responsible for serializing these documents or uh, unserializing them or uh, just like displaying you know getting a list of all the documents for the home views if i made two document databases it would probably be bad because they both try to write to the same file so there it should only ever be a singleton but i don't have a singleton like accessor
0: that will Mm -hmm. get it out of nowhere so sockets web sockets i feel like that's the one that's I used them multiple times in like different projects, uh, and o- it always felt like this kind of flakier uh, sibling of HTTP connection, where you know you 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 can never know, you can never know if the information actually made it or not. Like what what is the story with error handling in your uh, in this app? Like how do you approach that? First, I want to make sure that like
1: these messages are item potent, like uh, the server knows, hey, I've already got these messages from this client. <laughs> up to this point, and so I can throw those away, I've already got them, and then these are the new ones. And so if something happens where like the client accidentally sends things twice, for example, uh, that's okay. And so it might like try to send something, and then a little bit later it notices the connection went down. So it reestablishes the connection, and the server sends a message that says, i am confirmed you're c- connected, here are some new messages that happened since last time you're connected. Um, and here is the last message that I've heard from you. So the server mm-hmm. says, like, here's what I know about what you've sent so far. And then that, um, and then the Canvas View Controller goes back to the Canvas client and says, you know, usually I'm sending these in real time, but instead, give me everything that happened since Thursday or whatever. Because that's the last time that the server acknowledged that it got a message from us. It still relies on it being kind of a queue. For a single connection, that like everything that you put in the connection arrives in the right order, and that's nice that WebSockets uh, guarantees that. Um, and WebSockets also nice in that usually it's easier to connect a WebSocket in like more restricted um, network environments because it starts out looking like a regular HTTP request, right. and then it like kind of just stays open and becomes WebSocket. So it's less likely to be blocked than if you use some other random port or some other uh,
0: different protocol. Do you remember when the world moved to HTTP 2, and and that I think that that specification had like kind of way to maintain connection open. So in a way, it was kind of like inching into the territory of WebSockets. And I think that that became a standard because early on only Google supported it, but then eventually they kind of propagated it. It was called SPDY, like S P D D Y, uh, yeah, something like that. They were cool with names back then. It it looks like I, I use it multiple times and it looks like a pretty solid product, but I'm kind of curious, what, what is your current focus?
1: Yeah. One is trying to scale up the web app. Um, I I said that we share a lot of code between the clients. Mm-hmm. Web app, unfortunately, is just JavaScript from scratch. And so JavaScript, we reimplement the Canvas client, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to also get like feature parity there. Um, there's other features that we want to just uh, some, do some features that we said, this will be a nice problem to have. Like, if enough people use it that they're like, oh, I could really use search and folders and stuff like that, that would right. be a nice problem to have. And now we have it. People are asking for folders like every day. Nice. Um, Congrats. <laughs> and so uh, some of those niceties within the whiteboard, I'd also really like to do text uh, support so you can mm-hmm. type, uh, especially for people who are using the browser. It's easier to use the keyboard. Um, And then also like inline images. Right now you can add an image and use it as like the background. Mm -hmm. Um, But we will be adding images that work more like stickers that you can pick up and move. Another thing that's interesting in here is that we use um, either OpenGL or Metal to render all of these strokes. And I was really surprised how much you get for free from normal like core graphics like... (laughs) create a filled shape. It took me forever to figure out how to tessellate into triangles yep. using lib tests and like I had no idea how much work uh, displaying a shadow was. Like we have a <laughs> a tool where we're like, okay, you circle things and it picks up and it'll show a shadow and like mm-hmm. that was a rabbit hole for a while.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all that from scratch. I was going to ask you yeah, if you use any core, core uh, graphics. So it sounds like none whatsoever, right? Not for the for the core of the algorithm?
1: We use core graphics when you export as a PDF um, mm, okay. to draw there. But the the whiteboard is metal, and it was like drastically faster. So before, the way that we were doing it uh, was actually with CA layers. We had CA shape layers. And um, a thing that makes ink look a lot better is if the lines can change thickness as you mm-hmm. go depending on like speed that yep. you're drawing at the time and A regular core graphics path doesn't support that. So the way that we were doing it was that you You kind of Make a filled shape instead of saying like just line to here you yeah, zoom yep. in on the line and you make it thick
0: <laughs> You outline kind of line itself and then feel the insides.
1: Yeah, right and that um I don't know if it was that that caused it to be slow, but like it was pretty easy to draw for ten minutes and end up with mm. a screen that when you tried to zoom was like terribly slow. Right. Um, but now rendering it with Metal, where we are using the same technique, but now we you know break that down into triangles, mm-hmm. um, is so fast. It's been that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Like they have hardly draw enough. Really snappy. Yeah. To make it slow.
0: Have you tried to use just core graphics, like as in, like you have single view and you just store the commands, like a a queue of commands, and you keep redrawing them? Or was it slow too?
1: I tried versus the CA layer or the Mm -hmm. um, just calling it, and CA layer was still faster because I think it it cached some. And usually, like the thing that changed is you're adding a stroke on top. Um, Mm. But now we made this conversion before. I added the tool where you could pick things up and move them. So I don't know yep. what performance would have been like in that case. But now that it's in Metal, it does just draw every stroke. Like there's no um, mm-hmm. there's no buffers that we're rendering lines to uh, or no bitmaps that we're rendering to uh, beforehand. It. It's all uh, immediately rendered
0: um, every frame. All right, neat. So I think that's we can try to wrap it up here and any sort of uh, where can people find you? What is the best way to get in touch with you if they want to kind of pick your brains or or suggest any of their sort of uh, solutions to any sort of problems that you're kind of facing?
1: Yeah, Twitter is good at um, Bridger Max, or um, if it's about Scribble, I run our support line, so help at ScribbleTogether dot com.
0: <laughs> nice, very cool. Okay, sweet. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat about uh, about the app and how you build it. It's, it's a pretty unique app and the fact that it's, it has the uh, um, all this kind of collaborative features. And uh, yeah, we, we don't see that uh, too often in the App Store. Thanks so much. Great to see you, Sash.